hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough, your host, and it's a great pleasure, a real honor to invite to the show for the first time for a long program. And boy, do we have an outline to follow, Dr. Irene Mavrakakis. And I tell you, you know, her last name is not a bacteria. It's a, it's a name. It's a, it's a very, very good Greek name. And uh, she's going to tell us all about herself. She's got a very interesting background, including her family. Uh, Irene, welcome to the program. And, and why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hi, and thank you so much for having me on this program. I really appreciate the opportunity to have this discussion. So basically, I'm a child of immigrants, uh, and my dad was from Greece, and my mom was from Holland. They were in the war. My mom was a Levins-born child. Uh, they both had a lot of tragedies uh, before they came to America. I was born and raised in New York City. I went to NYU undergrad. I trained uh, first two years at St. Vincent's Hospital on New York City after New York Medical College for my medical school. And then I went to an anesthesia residency in New Jersey and then interventional spine and musculoskeletal fellowship. And so I practice interventional spine and musculoskeletal assessment and treatment. So I'm the doctor that you go to when you're hurt and don't want to go on narcotics. I was non-narcotic writing even during the opiate crisis, and a lot of us spoke out against it. And uh, also, I have been seeing off and on vaccine injured patients on the musculoskeletal neurological side for many, many years. I used to see server from flu vaccines, and I have a local neurologist here in Delaware and a naturopath, and we do treat, and uh, he also has initiated IVIGG for some of the neuromuscular vaccine injured patients and uh, with some success. So we just a few of us here in Delaware trying to treat the patients, and I'm a Christian, a libertarian, I am very interested in the Austrian School of Economics. I'm vice chair of the Libertarian Party of Delaware. I also work a lot with the National Party and work on anti-war programs through Humanity for Peace, Rage Against the War Machine. I founded two organizations, Liberty Speaks, which is a nonpartisan nonprofit that seeks to promote the basic principles of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and Delaware Initiative for Science and Ethics, which I started to get my colleagues when COVID mania started to get talking about things and really start advocating for ourselves. Wow. So you're busy. You're not somebody who's just, uh, you know, trying to trying to dodge this pandemic. It sounds like you're going right after it. And I have to tell my listeners, Dr. Mavrakakis is the first person I've ever interviewed who sent me an outline ahead of time. And I've taken notes. No wonder she's top of her class. By the way, NYU, is one of the top universities in, in the United States and the special she, specialty she went into anesthesia and then particularly spine uh, pain neuromuscular is, is really high end. I saw a patient today in the office who had multiple spinal surgeries and you guessed it, he's on chronic opioids and it's a miserable situation. So specialists uh, like Dr. Mavrakakis are needed all over the world. We're gonna follow this outline and I wanna... Um, uh, 
go ahead and, and take off on this. The first is this recognition that you've had that a specific immunoglobulin participates in the inflammatory response re related to COVID is called IgE. So our audience is not just all doctors and nurses, but a lot of lay people. Can you explain IgE and just immunoglobulins in general and, and why you think this is important? So it's uh, so interesting and super important. And uh, the reason why I became so interested in IgE is because I was vaccine injured by the flu vaccine in 2012, and I was sick for over eight years. And my spectrum of allergy predisposition made the vaccine injury on the allergy side. You know, I was on 10 different meds mm. and it was pretty horrible. And, you know, I researched a lot about vaccines, adjuvants and excipients and went down, you know, many rabbit holes. I feel like Alice in Wonderland sometimes and learned a lot as I was trying to find the path to health and wellness, which I did. I'm 95% better and I don't take any medicines. But that was, you know, 10 years ago. So it was a long road. And so I understand. Um, but at, I don't actually regret it, to be perfectly honest with you, because I wouldn't be where I am today. So, you know, tragedy brings you to the light. Um, so IgE, it's very simple. We have these immunoglobulins, right? And there are fighter cells. And there's IgE and IgM and IgG. And a lot of the vaccine injuries are autoimmune IgG mediated. That's why we use IV IgG, right? So the allergy component of this is super interesting. And why is that? Well, you know how some people who get stung by bees, some become anaphylactic to bee stings and some don't. And bee stings are injected, right? It's not an oral mm. exposure. Mm. And so there's something different related to how when we're exposed to something that's an injection, which is part and parcel to the concept of vaccination and the injection of biologics. So because my injury was allergy mediated, I learned a lot about vaccines and I came up with this hypothesis because of these adjuvant and excipients book that some of the ingredients are causing food allergies because we're not supposed to have food antigens injected into us repetitively. Good point, good point. And I needed to find peanut because my hypothesis wouldn't work if I didn't have peanut. And there is legume oil or peanut, you can't see this, mm -hmm. currently used in the United States. And what we need to recognize is that the, since the 1986 law that removed product liability from vaccine makers and established a vaccine adverse event reporting system, the amount of vaccines has quadrupled. And that's also something I really want to talk about. So as it relates to COVID and flu vaccine, I found this article uh, from the uh, Department of Defense that demonstrated that flu vaccine increases coronavirus susceptibility by 36% if you look at mm -hmm. table five. So that's concerning. And then I found this other article, it's called Flu Vaccine Causes Dengue-Like Illness. And what it showed from the British Journal of Medicine, that in some patients who are flu vaccinated and subsequently have the flu, they inadvertently have made IgE to the antigen because of repetitive injection, which goes to the questionable science of respiratory virus vaccination because you have to keep repeating it because respiratory viruses mutate and we know this so i'm publicly anti 
respiratory viral vaccination. Mm -hmm. And I've looked back at the data. It's not really clear whether or not the flu vaccine has really decreased morbidity and mortality. Well, but, let's, let's just take a, a break here. I don't want you to get too far along the line. I just need to ask a few questions. What current vaccines in use in the United States use legume oil or peanut oil? We don't know. Because when you go to the CDC adjuvant and excipient list, which has the list of other ingredients according to the CDC for like each vaccine, I'm sure you've seen it. It's the pink book listing. But these are kind of like in the category of generally regarded as safe, meaning they're used, but they're not listed per vaccines. They're considered generally regarded as safe. Oh, I see. Do you so see? They're... So I don't know which ones have it. But isn't it true uh, that... Uh, peanut allergies have just skyrocketed over this uh, incredible escalation we've had in terms of vaccines in the United States. Exactly. And there's also milk protein in the adjuvants and excipients of peanuts. And there's also monkey kidney cells in adjuvants and excipients, which is mammalian cells. And there's a lot of ingredients. And there's a big difference. I'm board certified in anesthesiology. So we're very into mechanisms and root of administration. Mm -hmm. There's a big difference between injecting this versus oral Right. And so there's a study uh, and uh, research by Charles Rickett, who won the Nobel Peace Prize and pointed term anaphylaxis and did this beautiful lecture in 1913. And it talks about how, you know, once you invade the body in a certain way that's not natural, you're going to have inadvertent IgE production mm -hmm. because it's the body trying to fight off something that they consider invasive. So you bypass first pass metabolism. So yeah, correlation doesn't equal causation, but it warrants further study, except there's been no studies on the current vaccine schedule in 30 years, according to the ICANN Freedom of Information Act. Right. So, you know, I am the victim of taking 40 flu shots. I counted them up. You know, I had to, to be on medical staff and I, I felt forced into it. Uh, a couple of times on New Year's Eve, they called me and they said I was going to throw me off staff unless I took a flu shot. So I took them and uh, I've carefully reviewed the efficacy data. Most years, uh, the statistical, um, uh, the efficacy of the vaccines is statistically no different than zero. They basically don't provide any protection against uh, flu. And what you're telling me now is that if people, and, and, and very few people get the flu, uh, the flu is only about 15% of all hospitalized viral upper respiratory tract infections. I've personally never even tested for it. But uh, the concern I have now is that if I did get the flu, that maybe I would develop an IgE uh, anaphylact anaphylactic type of uh, reactive stance against another flu shot, which I don't plan on taking. Well, also against any exposure to an antigen similar. And if you recall, IgE can be very cross immunogenic, mm. right? Okay. So like I'm latex allergic and, you know, I cross with certain foods, latex fruit syndrome because of the, you know, IgE has some cross immunity. And so... Dr. Chetty in South Africa, which I think you're aware of this because we because I'm friends with the Braxis from Delaware and the Delaware Medical Freedom People. And um, he has some studies that did show histamine component in day six to eight in the COVID vaccinated. So you, there is a possibility the hypothesis can be and we haven't proven this, that a component of the cytokine storm even in the beginning when you had heavily flu vaccinated nursing home military and 
-hmm. healthcare workers, a component of the cytokine storm could have been that they had already had IgE to flu antigen and COVID looks so much like flu that's part of their cytokine storm, which really looks like what happens during a component of COVID, right, is IgE mediated cytokine storm. You know, that's such an important observation. Dr. Chetty in South Africa, who's been on this show, uh, has actually described the pulmonary picture uh, in patients with COVID as basically a hypersensitivity reaction. And we, we know there are hypersensitivity pneumonidities. For instance, they exist uh, uh, you know, across a variety of environmental causes, but we even see hypersensitivity pneumonitis with certain drugs. My Somebody in my family had one after he took a, a form of a kinase inhibitor for lung cancer. So, um, so IgE likely to play a role. It also explained why the conditions, particularly acute pulmonary COVID and some of the vaccine injuries are steroid responsive. Uh, of course. Also, yeah. Yes. And, and you mentioned uh, something, again, just to explain to our viewers that the IgG mediated types of um, immune injury that we're seeing uh, are responsive or treated with intravenous immunoglobulin, IVIG. And that's, in a sense, a, a way of temporarily binding up those offending antibodies. Yeah, exactly. So your immune system is hyper-responsive. Some people are hypo-responsive. And so IVIgG neutralizes the high levels of IgG. But in COVID-vaccinated, flu-vaccinated, COVID or flu-vaccinated, flu-infected patients, we should be measuring IgE, eosinophils, histamine, tryptase. Just think about what does anaphylaxis look to you, mm -hmm. Peter? What, yeah. what, right? Well, Very you, similar. You know, it's and you can't oxygenate, right? Because you have right. uh, the, uh, you know, your lungs have to exchange with your capillaries. And if you have uh, fluid in the interstitium, right? you're not going to be able to oxygenate. And that's a big part of what's going on. I'm not saying, of course, that it's all IgE mediated because some people have certain susceptibilities, right? So, but people who have the IgE susceptibility, right? I'm an allergic person. We all have different mm -hmm. genetic predispositions to how we're going to have adversity. Well, you, you know, it's interesting too, Dr. Chatty, we're talking about acute pulmonary COVID now. He also not only used steroids, but he used, you know, what I call kind of heavy antihistamines like promethazine, cyproheptadine, uh, et cetera. So I think that's all cohesive. You know, one other tie into IgE, and this was published in JAMA, actually from Harvard. And uh, they were describing these um, allergic skin conditions that occur in the vaccinated that are forms of, of, of urticaria and they form acute wheels. In fact, they have dermatographia. That is, if you drag a, a pen cap across it, you can actually write your, your name on the skin. It raises up. And uh, do you know what they ended up treating that with? This was published in JAMA, omalizumab. And so omalizumab is a form of a monoclonal antibody against IgE. Yeah, is that the Zolaire? Is that the... Yeah, yeah I believe so. Yeah, but, yeah, but of isn't course. That, isn't yes. that interesting? Yes, so they were yes. using an anti-IgE strategy to treat yes. this woman. And the thing, I and I tweeted about this, and I, I should go back and write a subtext. They treated this poor woman who was miserable. This omalizumab is very expensive. You know, the woman had been treated with um, diphenhydramine, and, which is Benadryl and steroids and all these other drugs and creams. And they ultimately got to this expensive monoclonal antibody, which you had to get every four months. And guess what they were planning to do? 
give her another vaccine. No, yeah. Yes, no. it's in the paper. No. They said, well, we're gonna we're gonna give her higher doses of steroids next time because we're gonna give her another booster. No, no. it's absurd. It's absurd yeah. and it's against basic standard of care. But I wanna tell you something super yeah. interesting because when my vaccine reaction, because this all comes from personal experience, but my need to understand, and then I just read mm. tons of articles. Um, when I went to Hopkins, I was on 120 milligrams of prednisone per day and uh, 50 milligrams of Benadryl around the clock, four Zyrtec, singular, like, you know, the whole thing. And I, and the Hopkins physician was a pediatric latex specialist. And he's like, we can't keep doing this. And I was in this recurrent anaphylaxis and, um, and, you know, it's a very specific case, but I learned a lot from it. And this medicine is the medicine I've been trying to tell you about for a while. I keep trying to connect with you. It's called gastrochrome. It's a mast cell stabilizer. And that's what saved my life. And I have a draft clinical trial at my local hospital, which is mm -hmm. not past IRB approval, to mm -hmm. use gastrochrome in COVID vaccinated and flu vaccinated patients who have certain measurements like high IgE, histamine, tryptase, and things like that. But I haven't really gotten right. it through IRB, so, but so they it, are receptive. Right. So it's a form of chromalin, right? So, chromalin, sodium. It's okay. and six and so it's liquid form. Yeah. And uh you take put it in water, you take it three to four times a day. That is the medicine that saved my life. It's used for mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also used for refractory asthma. And, right. you, it, and it's very safe. Yeah. It's very safe. It's easy. oh incredibly. Well, listen, yeah. we have to move on. You're so smart. And it's interesting, you've learned from your own um development of hypersensitivity. And I say parenthetically, uh, unfortunately, all my, my kids were fully vaccinated. I was fully vaccinated through the schedule. And my daughter has all kinds of what looks like, you know, cutaneous and other manifestations of of uh, of allergies. And, and I, I think they likely could be from taking vaccines as a child. I'll leave it there. But let's move on to the next part. Um, uh, you said something bold in the outline. You said the invalidity of PCR testing. So we don't usually in medicine use just a test, which is like throwing a hundred Lego up in the air and saying that these two things mean that you have disease without clinical symptomatology. For example, for C. diff, we do not make the diagnosis of C. diff, C. diff just with the test. You have to have clinical symptoms. Right. And so PCR test is invalid as it relates to the diagnosis of clinical coronavirus. And the whole idea of asymptomatic testing is not standard of care if you look at the history of medicine. Right. And it's really absurd um, how this became the standard, which is upside down from basic scientific principles. But and Do you know that the WHO, it's one of the few things that WHO got right, June of 2021, they said they said we should do no asymptomatic testing. You know, of it was course not. Done, we were being done getting on cruise boats and traveling and schools, and so they actually got it right. The, the CDC came out way later. I think it was the summer of of uh, of twenty twenty two before they said no asymptomatic testing. But the the message is we've never thought to just test everybody if they don't have symptoms, because of course it, not. It's going to the the published studies suggest the vast majority. If they are very few are positive, but but when they do so, the vast majority are false positive. 
Well, you don't really know because it has no relationship to how we typically practice medicine. And just because you tested positive for COVID, it didn't mean that you had 30 other of the other viral illnesses that no one's testing for. So it's really nonsense. And then it confuses the clinical picture. Right. But ju just, uh, you know, I have some papers I've quoted are some workplace studies that Japanese also published a paper from the Olympics. And, you know, they did asymptomatic testing in a huge number of people who are just, you know, trying to go to work or trying to attend the Olympics. And then they carefully followed them to see if they ever got sick. And the point is, way, you know, it's less than 1% are positive. So it's a very low yield thing. But when they are positive, the majority, more than 50%, more like 80 or 90% are false positive, meaning that they never developed the clinical illness. So, so the data suggested asymptomatic testing was, was a, a, a complete uh, waste of time. And you're right, it's antithetical to clinical practice. But, but why is the PCR itself, in your view, why is it invalid? So there's two components to that. The first thing is that the cycles, right? We know about this, right? So in the beginning, we really didn't know what cycles. Above 20 cycles, which, it, you know, it's just replicating polymerase chain reaction to be able to, mm -hmm. you know, see if it's there. Above 20 cycles, it's invalid anyway, because, you know, you're, you're literally just replicating and replicating and replicating. There's a lot of studies that show that it has no meaning. But the most important part is the original PCR test for COVID. Do you know where that came from? No. It's super interesting. It's, you know, my Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole number 3000. Mm. So Professor Drosden uh, made the first PCR test for coronavirus from a computer model, not a viral isolate. And he's also the first guy to make the PCR test for Ebola and Zika and anthrax. And also there's a relationship between that and a vaccine company called Grefx. And Grefx in September of 2019 was given $19 million by the National Institute of Health to work on an mRNA adenovirus coronavirus vaccine out of the press release and the New York Post article. That's 9, September of 2019. So uh, Christian Drosden and this vaccine company, this small company, super interesting, called Grefx, is a really good rabbit hole for everybody to go down and understand that they've been working on mRNA technology for a long time. And also understand that one of the first COVID-related vaccines, they did testing on rats and all the rats did terrible. I don't know if you saw this study. And they had fluid in their lungs and they also had elevated eosinophils, mm -hmm. which are allergy marker, you see? So yeah. well that that's quite interesting in the Manicherry papers Manicherry's first author 2015 Nature Medicine 2016 PNAS Ralph Barrick's a senior author not only did they you know announce the creation of primordial SARS-CoV-2 but they did a a primordial vaccine they actually gave a killed vaccine to these animals and then they had exactly what you said they had hypersensitivity yes. pneumonitis of course, because the whole science of respiratory viral vaccination makes no sense whatsoever. 
because right. you know that it's going to mutate. So why on God's green earth would you inject someone with messenger RNA to make them a spike protein producing factory when you already were 37 mutations by the time you got to Omicron? And, and, and in addition to that, the whole idea of vaccinating during a pandemic also was not basic scientific uh, standard of care. Because the thing is, is that remember, so when you had a virus and your immune cells Viruses have like a squiggle and a rectangle and a circle of antigens, right? And you make immune cells kind of each little antigen and say spike is one of them. So like, remember when people used to get like sick and a flu or whatever was going around, they knew if they saw it again, they had immunity and they weren't going to get as sick mm -hmm. if it was something in that same season, right? So the reason why natural immunity is 27 times more protective by, you know, I don't know, the 800 studies that demonstrated mm -hmm. that, you know, is because... When you first see a virus and you make all those immune cells, when say the spike is mutating, you have immune cells to those other antigenetic structures. And so you can fight it off easier. So really it doesn't make any sense to make someone a spike producing factory by injecting synthetic oh. messenger RNA that's transcribed and translated into the human right. body. And also keep in mind that the immunity is, you know, what you really are looking for is mucosal immunity. So that's uh, immunoglobulin A, the uh, you know antigen presenting cells, T cells, and and macrophages, and then of course the the B cells and the plasma cells. Everything's right there to fight the mucosa, and not giving an injection in the arm. Now, listen, I, just for the readers, and just to make sure that people are going to look up PCR, um, I, I want people to understand that PCR is looking for some little segments of genetic code, not for the entire virus. Now, full genomic sequencing is uh, possible, and it's done by a whole family of um, a network of labs that the CDC reports to. That's how we know what variant we're in. So there is full sequencing that is done for, in a sense, research and CDC purposes. But, but clinically, the small fragments uh, code for uh, the nucleocapsid protein, the envelope protein, the spike protein, the ribonuclease, and then there's a, a fifth one. So it's either R or the fifth one is called the open reading frame, ORF. But these are only small segments of code. And as the cycler keeps cycling, uh, the chances of finding other similar code that's in you know other human cells, other viral particles, other bacteria become higher and higher. Now, the CDC came out with guidance pretty early on that said, listen, don't have any assay that cycles above 28. And it turns out that the CDC was was right, that when we start cycling up past these uh, cycle thresholds that we're talking about, uh, the chances of finding a real live virus that it can replicate become so exceedingly small that we, we don't need to, to worry. And the problem is that uh, Roche and Abbott and all the manufacturers, they ignored the CDC's guidance. And the CDC never, um, uh, you know, never pursued this. The, uh, the FDA and the CDC didn't communicate. Just like the WHO wasn't listened to on, um, you know, on the asymptomatic testing. So let's move on to the, the, the third area. The third thing in, in the um, outline, and we'll have to kind of keep it brief because I want to get to the second part of this, mm -hmm. which is uh, really going to be interesting given your background. Um, and the third one, I mean, is how we got to COVID mania. 
What do you mean by COVID mania? In the beginning, when the British statistician told us that billions of people were going to die, remember? The first people that tested positive were people in nursing home, healthcare workers, and military. Sidebar, heavily flu vaccinated. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then we had a situation by which we had a few experts of central planners and various governmental and health entities have this profound ideological control over the public health narrative. And this feeds into the next section. We have to have separation of science and state, just like separation of church and state. And think about it. We cannot say ever that the science is settled because it never is, right? We used to prescribe heroin and recommend caramel cigarettes, okay? Thalidomide, I mean, the list goes on. So science is never settled and that's okay if we have a functioning constitutional republic. You see, what I tell people, and my libertarianism is probably more important to me than a lot of these other things. You see, you cannot force or coerce humans to have anything injected into their body or have any experimental medical procedure because it's wrong and because it's unconstitutional. So how how is it unconstitutional? Well, let's start with the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And this concept is further enumerated in the 14th Amendment. And this 10th Amendment talks about how things should be the states or the people, not the federal government. So what happened during COVID mania? Well, hang on. But I think we're going to need to take a station break right here. So you're kind of laying out the the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the amendments that could apply. And I'm going to ask you on the other side of this uh, break to just briefly uh, describe the 10th and 14th Amendments and how they apply. Uh, we've been talking to uh, Dr. I- Irene Maverick Hackus, who is uh, an anesthesiologist, a, sp- a spinal uh, pain specialist, someone who's managed COVID and the complications. She herself has had um, hypersensitivity, IgE-mediated vaccine injury from influenza vaccines that many of us have had. So she's done a deep dive on this, and we've learned so much. Uh, she's opened our eyes uh, and, and helped us connect the dots so far, uh, not only on the, the pandemic, but the vaccines. And and now we're going to move into the, the second part of this interview on the other side that's going to really deal with science and politics. You're listening to The McCullough Report. Let's take a, a pause right here. 
Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill, it's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD for 25% off. One of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is Healthy Cell. And the Healthy Cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology. Three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM sleep supplement. Each one of these is complementary, and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know, after COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with the upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, and I've been diligent with the immune super boost in the morning, followed by focus and energy, and then in the evening time, the REM sleep supplement. The microgel technology works and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm so confused, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. When God, through his grace and mercy, gave us free will, the will of the people was to live freely. To that end, we fight for the liberty of all at a time when global tyranny threatens us as never before in mankind's history. This vision is manifest at AmericaOutloud.news, a site for all who cherish free will and freedom. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. We are in the middle of a red hot interview with Dr. Irene Mavrakakis. You know what really caught my eye today uh, was Brownstone Institute um, had an entire piece on what they call science totalitarianism. And you just said there should be a separation 
of science and state. Uh, well, why don't you why don't you pick up where you left off on uh, the Constitution and and why is it wrong to inject something in people's bodies against their will? Right, exactly, and it's uh, wrong from an ethical perspective because as sovereign conscious humans, we have the right to determine what's put into our bodies and that's related to the concept of bodily autonomy. But as it relates to an important principle, which is informed consent, which is considered standard of care across the medical establishment. And what is informed consent? Well, informed consent necessitates full disclosure of all risks and benefits. And then the patient determines whether or not they want to have that particular medical procedure. And I tell you that masks, PCR testing, lockdowns, social distancing, vaccines, and biologics are medical procedures. And they should have the free ability to, to decline that procedure. And that declination of that procedure cannot be tied to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness because of the Declaration of Independence, the 10th Amendment, and the 14th Amendment. And so other than it being basically unethical to not provide informed consent, and the lawyers are going after this component because even though we have HR 5546, which removed product liability, and the PREP Act, which removed product liability for COVID and established the COVID countermeasure injury program, right? We do have a little bit where the lawyers can go after the failure to provide informed consent. Why? Because the fact of the matter is that in the preclinical trials, all of this, all of this, myocarditis, heart attack, stroke, anaphylaxis, blood, all this, all of this was seen before it was launched upon the general population. And that goes back to the issue with regulatory capture and the issue with governmental interference, because there is no product in the United States that has liability protection like vaccines at all. So in 1986, in its infinite wisdom, Congress passed this law and they passed the law because the vaccine makers were getting sued. So instead of working on safety and efficacy, they passed this law and established the healthcare compensation fund for which $7 billion has been paid out for vaccine injuries before COVID. And also, according to their own report, the Lazarus report, only one to 10% of injuries are even reported. And for COVID, they passed the PREP Act. Now, if we didn't have these two laws, which are quintessential government interference, that perpetuate the issue with failed central planning and scientism in our country, and the overwhelming issue with regulatory capture in Health and Human Services, the CDC and the FDA and their conflict of interest, the fox running the hen house, and I want to discuss that. No one in the United States of America or in the world would have ever gotten a COVID vaccine or biologic, which is my public stance. No human should have ever received this vaccine and biologic because the pharmaceutical industry would have never let it given to anybody because they would have gotten sued. So the answer is separation of science and state. And the answer is to repeal these laws because everything is fixed from this. More freedom, more competition in public health and medical research. And we can debate the science all the time. But in COVID mania tyranny, the first, the 10th and the 14th Amendment were violated. Now, let me uh, let me try to see if I can't. Um 
I guess, push back just a little. Uh, what if uh, it, it, the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Act, it says that the reason why the manufacturers need liability is because there are unavoidable harms of the vaccine, unavoidable harms. What if we lived in a world where there was perfectly executed informed consent, there was a completely free choice, and there was no pressure, coercion, threat of reprisal, no mandates at all. A, a child could freely go to school without taking vaccines or freely engage in taking vaccines. The parents could decide. What if that existed? Uh, would that could you still have liability protection if you really had free uh, informed consent and and no mandates whatsoever? No, the law needs to be repealed because all of the injuries have been been hidden in the vaccine adverse event reporting system and the healthcare compensation fund. And it's not going to push us towards full informed consent unless we see all the data. Okay. And yeah, so that's a good point. And also, the other point that you've already made is that we'll never get to safer products if they have liability protection. They, they have no incentive to produce safe products. Yes, because in these in the United States of America, whether you like it or not, the drive to have a safe and effective product has a significant drive coming from competitive forces related to having safety and efficacy. Mm. I mean, that's the truth in the United States of America. Now, let's we can also talk about the fact that health and human services is profoundly conflicted as both the mm. pusher of the vaccine and the monitor of the safety and efficacy. And let's talk about the CDC. The CDC issued guidance that everybody followed, but we never remembered that the CDC has no governing authority. And we also need to remember that the CDC is partially funded by the CDC Foundation, which is funded by the pharmaceutical industry, which okay. goes to the same for the World Health Organization. Yeah, so let's just get to kind of roles and responsibilities. So, you know, if we had a safe and effective brand new vaccine, uh, there should have been a, a, a vaccine administration uh, entity of some sort. And there clearly should have been a day safety monitoring board. Uh, and because it's going to be a widely applied brand new vaccine. And then the FDA should have no role in sponsoring or supporting or pushing the vaccine. They, they should have been uh, a safety watchdog, right? Right. Uh, and that's the problem with the structure with health and human services, because as opposed to the National Safety Transportation Board and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, mm -hmm. and there's the purveyor and the monitor, it's, so there's a whole problem with how the whole system is set up. Right. Right. But, but and just, so whole just so people know, the FDA reports to Health and Human Services. So if Health and Human Services, actually with the Department of Defense, is going to roll out a vaccine, the FDA is in a position of executing the vaccine program. They're, they're not going to stop this. They're not going to police the vaccine program. The CDC is, is really supposed to do uh, outbreak analysis, data analytics, and in vitro diagnostics. They're actually not positioned to execute a national program. And what we've seen is both the CDC and FDA are actually engaged in vaccine advertising. Yeah, 
again, the fox is running the hen house and then the revolving door relationships between people who run pharmaceutical companies and then they get the positions in governmental agencies and the pervasive regulatory capture. So really, the answer to COVID mania tyranny, which is just a quintessential example of failed central planning, which is just an example of the profound issues with our constitutional republic, which is really functioning as an oligarchy which is run by the pharmaceutical industry, the military industrial complex, and the food industrial complex, right? So this is just a warning. It's not really about COVID. It is. And we can argue and debate the science and talk about all of this. But what really is the problem is not enough freedom and not enough competition and the fact that we're not functioning as a constitutional republic. Well, well can I ask you about this? Now, we want to segue now into to history and, and politics. Um, you know, we broke away from England, which was a monarchy, where there's, you know, families of kings and queens, what have you, to be a constitutional republic. So where in the world did we end up with the uh, Roosevelt family, you know, having, uh, you know, positions in government in the White House, and the Kennedy family, and the Bush family, and the Clinton family, and now the Trump family. Let, let, that to me, that seems like an oligarchy. That seems like a monarchy. We don't have families that run the country. How does that strike you? It's incredibly concerning. And that's why I like to tell people that what happened during COVID is just a small example of what's wrong. I mean, the amount of money that the pharmaceutical industrial complex, the military industrial complex and the food industrial complex has over our legislators is just disgusting. And so what we have to understand and people have a tough time understanding this. Just trying to like, you know, food, water, shelter, clothes, love, community, just live our lives is that the Constitution although a living document, is just a piece of paper. And if we don't, people don't know our constitution and don't know our rights and don't know that it's for the people, by the people, by the consent of the governed. And the only just laws, really, are laws that protect life, liberty, and property and the pursuit of happiness. And during COVID mania tyranny, our government infringed upon the rights for which mm -hmm. they are employed by us to protect, mm -hmm. literally yeah. upside down. Right. Infringements is a very good word. That's exactly what happened. Uh, before we move into presidential politics, I have to ask you kind of one more COVID vaccine question. Most patients that I encounter, reasonable people, middle-aged, low-risk people, they took the vaccine because they felt forced into it. Uh, mainly by employment, sometimes uh, in order to travel or to do something they, they want to do. Yeah, it, it's, it, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so why did some employers pick up this charge of mandating vaccines and others didn't? I mean, the, the example I, I mentioned is the financial services industry. Largely, everybody worked from home, uh, people were on the computer, WebExing. They weren't of any infectious risk anyway. You know, and they were mandated to take a shot. And then you take Starbucks. People are going into little small coffee shops, what have you. No mandates. How can that be? None of, it's, none of it makes sense. Well, a 
couple of things. And, and we're not going to talk about the fact that uh, Health and Human Services mandated vaccines or exemptions for healthcare workers, which oh, yeah. related to tied to their ability to participate, which right. ties into quality measurement payments, which is right. another huge problem that needs to go away. Right. So we call um, that strings attached. So, right. uh, you know, right. the, fi the five Biden mandates, it was my testimony and actually Jay Bhattacharya's that went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. So we right. took down four out of the five mandates. But but what stood was this healthcare. Let's leave that aside right now. Uh, but t tell me this, what are the constitutional issues of an employer themselves deciding that somebody has to be mandated to take a shot? Well, there's two libertarian concepts that we have to apply. On the one hand, uh, a private entity, right? has a right, no shoes, no socks, no service, right? Mm -hmm. You know, down at the beach. So there is a component of this where a private entity has the right to say what they want uh, for their employees, right? And you can walk. Okay. So because, the and, and the way that this happened though, is because of fear and because doctors like Jay were censored. And so people didn't have the science because of the violation of the first amendment that censored doctors who were giving us the other side of things. And that is the collusion of the government to censor free speech, which is what created the lack of knowledge and the fear and fears by which totalitarianism finds its way over people, right? So mm. the reason why it happened, it depends on what that employer, what TV show that employer watched, what their political affiliation is to some extent, I don't know the data on it. And to some extent, although it kills me to say it, they kind of had a right to do that. Now, because mm -hmm. of the no shoes, no, no, no socks, no service concept, but they would have never gotten to that point if it wasn't for the fact that we had interference with the scientific discourse and that is the problem with the not having the separation of science and state. Okay. Well, listen, this last segment, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I want you to introduce uh, yourself, your, your role in the Libertarian Party, who the current candidate is. And um, I can tell you, I, I talk to a lot of Americans out there. You know, I characterize myself as a political independent. I've voted Democratic in the past. I've voted Republican. I've actually voted independent in the past. Um, and uh, I can tell you, I've talked to some senior citizens, senior citizens. And so many people say, you know what? They are so unenthused about a Trump versus Biden rematch. Nobody likes a rematch in presidential politics. They really don't. Tell us about the Libertarian Party, the candidate, and your role. Well, of course, the Libertarian Party is really the party that's the philosophical descendants of our founding fathers. We're very much constitutionalists. We very much believe in the limited role of federal government. We also have the non-aggression principle. We're definitely the party that doesn't want us involved in foreign entanglements. And we, if there was a Libertarian president, there would never have been any mandates. You know, the thing is that it started with Trump and Operation Warp Spree, which is a whole other can of worms, and it remained with the Democrats. Mm -hmm. The Libertarian Party is not really well liked by mainstream media and the duopoly. 
And the fact of the matter is that, you know, there's a lot of money in politics and things like that. But I truly believe that if people read the platform of the Libertarian Party, they realize that the overwhelming majority of Americans have a libertarian or liberty streak because of really we are the people of America who should follow our own constitution, right? So there are six campaigning candidates uh, for the Libertarian nomination. The way we nominate our official nominee that would go into the general election is at the convention, which I'm so glad that you're coming to speak at national convention in May. It's super awesome. Uh, Is, you know, delegates from each state come and we vote on the floor. It's very interesting. And then we vote for our vice presidential candidate. I am a senior advisor and project manager for a candidate called Mike Termott. Mm -hmm. He has a PhD in economics. He's a Christian He worked as a police officer after that. He has an amazing platform. I helped write the medical freedom platform. The official policy stance of a libertarian and my candidate is just like speech. I will defend any awful thing that you say, even if I don't agree with it, as long as it doesn't incite violence, to my death. If you want a vaccine after you have informed consent, true informed consent, without liability protection for the maker. I will defend your right to have it, but no one should be ever forced or coerced to have any medical procedure of any sort, Mm -hmm. especially with that tied to life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. His platform, if you go to goldnewdeal.org and and Mm -hmm. miketermat.com, on the medical freedom platform has repeal HR 546, repeal the PREP Act. It has all the things we discussed, but the other, really important thing is to exit the World Health Organization because Mm -hmm. the World Health Organization has this international health resolution and Brownstone has a great summary article about it that really would set up for any perceived pandemic threat. They want countries to sign on and they would have full control over production and global public health, you know, and that is just not acceptable for any sovereign nation to be dictated by an entity, which of course is partially funded by the pharmaceutical industry. So exiting the hoopies and revamping the CDC and the FDA, removing regulatory capture, those are all things part of his platform. And we just launched two things, a libertarian AI named Lisa. She's super cute. It's a way to teach people about libertarian concepts and uh, a book called The Golden Deal. I don't know if people can see it, a gold new deal. It's on Amazon. And I wrote the medical freedom chapter in it, which of course really talks about all these things that we're talking about. Wow. So smart, so (laughs) insightful, and actually so spirited for your civil liberties. We've been talking to Irene Mavrakakis, and I'm so impressed. I think many of my followers when they, if they listen to this, would probably say, yeah, I, I, I actually do fall into that category of li- libertarian. And, uh, you know, the two major Democratic and Republican platforms, I wonder if they're going to have anything in, in it on vaccines or um, uh, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Act or the PrEP Act, these things that have got us into so much trouble. Uh, and so I'm going to have to pick up a copy of that book ahead of time and read it. Uh, I've been invited, many of you know, I've been invited to speak at the Libertarian National Convention. I've I've, I've spoken um, at some of the big Republican events, and I consider myself 
uh, an independent. But, you know, we're getting very close to having a Trump versus Biden rematch that we have to look at and listen to for, you know, for 10 months now. And Americans, I you know, it's interesting. Americans will be looking for alternatives here. And I think they really, you know, after this interview, you got me so excited. I think they really need to look at the Libertarian Party. I'll also say that I've spoken for the um, the Ludwig von Mises Institute, which is um, is centered out of Auburn University uh, by Lou Rockwell. And that's another terrific organization to look at. These are the intellectuals, the economists, the real free market capitalists, uh, the, the lovers of our nation, our liberal democracy. So I've donated generously to the Von Mises Institute. Uh, we've also mentioned tonight the Brownstone Institute, and I've donated to them as well. You know, I think where you donate your, your charitable dollars makes a big difference. I'm going to take a careful look at that. Irene, do you have any final words for our audience? I think I just would like to say that people need to realize that the government works for us. And I also would like to say that all of this duopoly divisive politics, having us argue over, you know, gays, guns, abortion, all of these things, when people really just want what? Food, water, love, shelter, community, purpose, you know, to have a nice life, go on a vacation here and there, um, really is just dividing and conquering us. And have you had more liberty under the duopoly control of the many decades? I would say no. And I would ask yourself, if you haven't heard of libertarians, it's probably because the mainstream media doesn't really like us very much because of the whole conflicting issues of money and politics. So I would say that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. Find your common humanity. If you disagree with someone, you really don't have to hate them. You could just agree to disagree and maybe learn a little something because I've learned a lot over the last few years and I've been wrong about things many times over my many years. So just, you know, give a Republican a hug and give a Democrat a hug and then find a libertarian and hang out with them. Wow. We're going to finish on that note. Terrific interview, Dr. Irene Mavrakakis, who is an anesthesiologist, a specialist in spinal pain syndromes. This has been a terrific issue of the McCullough Report and Courageous Discourse. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. <laughs>